0: Competing news were forced to get off of home base because it was too dangerous. They
1: said too many people are getting hurt.
2: There were ten people that were taken off site.
1: A lot of people have been talking about these
0: fires, but it was so much more than that.
1: Podcast ninety nine. Podcast ninety nine is back. I'm Ryan Lichten here with Josh Evans and Parks Miller. Today we enter. Woodstock 99 officially this is day one we have made it the day is July 23rd 1999 so abandon all hope ye who enter here (laughs) that's uh, kind of the theme for today so let's jump right into it uh, traffic is now completely gridlocked all over the all over the state, uh, all over the surrounding interstates, getting to Woodstock 99 uh, as the attendees flock to the concert grounds. The shuttle buses and parking lots, all the alternate routes, they've all hit capacity. Uh, Friday also marks the start of the pay-per-view feed, uh, as well as the official concert coverage from major media outlets. Uh, this in turn begins the daily press conferences given by the Woodstock 99 promoters and producers that would take place at the start of each day and as things get worse they take place at the end of each day too it's like constant you know status updates as to how things are going because rumors quickly start circulating outside of the grounds as to how bad things are inside uh, it's almost like when you hear like shit about guantanamo bay or something and and no one like they're like oh yeah like Sounds so bad, but it can't be that bad. I mean, the government's running it, and then, you know, you see the photos, and, and then you it's realize worse. that it's worse. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. So, uh, well, at least we get a cold shower today. You're right. <laughs> yes, yes. Today uh, is, is the last day of the festival, the first day of the festival, and the last day of the festival where you can take a clean shower. Uh, and that's only within, like, the first couple hours because it's going to all go to shit by the middle of the afternoon. And by go to shit, I mean that quite literally. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and as as people start floating the grounds, the, all these other attractions are being announced. Uh, the biggest being an indoor film festival sponsored by IFC that took place inside of one of the hangars. So I'm guessing that would serve as a nice little, you know, indoor break from, from the heat that everyone's about to experience. Yeah. Um, it was also announced that Sugar Ray would not be performing, and instead, G-Love and Special Sauce would be playing a second set. Uh, mm, so they, they, yeah didn't get enough at the pre-show yeah. thank god they didn't have anything else to do and they were able to stay and, and play another set on the main stage this time so that, that that's good for them uh, not so much for us yeah <laughs> it's not south by southwest you yeah, yeah you can't just yeah, you can't just find another <laughs> stage hustling. to play on yeah. uh the, picking this, up shows picking up shows yeah hey, hey come check out our set on the main stage yeah we were here yesterday <laughs> it, it's literally just like south by southwest We're in wow. their laminates yeah, exactly. Uh and Security is completely exhausted already, uh, as most of them pulled 12-hour shifts on the day of the pre-show, and they still had to report in the morning for day one. Uh, but day one would prove to be a much different beast than the pre-show. Uh, not only were the crowds of people arriving much larger, but they were way rowdier. Because, you know, everyone that showed up to the pre-show to camp out, those are... I guess what you would call the responsible attendees, the ones that are like, no, we'll get there early, yeah. we'll, we'll get a spot, you know, we'll go enjoy yeah. string cheese incident and stuff like the old heads. Day one is like motherfuckers are showing up to see corn yeah. now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and on and the offspring and, and they're ready to fuck shit up. Uh, also, the vendors quickly adjust their prices uh, to, you know, match the, the hordes that they were experiencing. So with that being said, without further ado, let's get to the music. For this, I'm going to go way back in time, if that's okay with you guys. Uh, I'm going to take it all the way back to May 3rd, 1933. A baby boy was born in Barnwell, South Carolina. This boy would go on to be one of the most charismatic gospel singers in the state of Georgia and the world. Eventually breaking into show business, this boy, now a grown man, entertained audiences around the world and sold millions of records. Overcoming adversity and scandal, tragedy and triumph, this man claimed his place in history. And on July 23rd, 1999, this man took the stage in Rome, New York, and kicked off the Woodstock 99 Music Festival. This man was James Brown, the godfather of soul. Yeah. James Brown. So, (laughs) yeah, but don't get excited because he doesn't come out on stage for at least 20 minutes into his own set. Uh, He has one of the biggest bands of the entire festival. There's two drummers. There's a percussionist. There's multiple keyboard players, full horn section, uh, full backup singer line, and they're all wearing matching dresses, uh, which I must have been drunk when I was like taking my notes because I was getting really kind of. Aggro and unfair to them, but I wrote down that their dresses look like Kmart prom dresses. That's probably <laughs> a little—it's it's probably a little harsh, but uh, hey, it's worth mentioning. But their mentioning. dance
3: moves are on point. Okay, well, these the little head, the head knocks.
1: Yeah. Oh no, they got it all down, and and they're doing like a the whole band's doing like a medley of James Brown hits, where the hype man is on stage just kind of like calling out, like you know him from Sex Machine has got a brand new bag and like they're like doing like the medley going through all of the hits that he's about to come out and play uh and this is you know again 10 minutes in now still no james brown the crowd is like waiting for this shit uh i mean because to have james brown open i mean that's a huge act you know what i mean massive yeah but that's what a better way to kick it off Mm -hmm. than with you know something really big right away that's positive positive. Not going to, you know, no one's going to blow their load, you know, and and wear themselves out during James Brown. Yeah. It's just going to be like a good time.
2: I would say that's pretty close to like 69. No, it definitely right? has 69
1: no? vibes. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, so eventually the hype man brings out a tall blonde woman wearing a red suit who goes on to explain, you know, uh, that she's here in, in the spirit of 69. And and it's all about, you know, Janis Joplin who, you know, she played and 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 this is a tribute to her. And so she goes on to sing a, a Janis Joplin cover and everyone's making a big deal about this woman. But who is she? That is the question on everyone's mind, I'm assuming. And so I did some digging and it wasn't hard to find out who this was. This was Tommy Ray Brown, a.k.a. Tommy Ray Heine. And that was James <laughs> Brown's life partner and alleged mother of his son, James Brown, II. Uh, she started her career as a Janis Joplin impersonator in Las Vegas and then went on to become a backup singer for the James Brown Review. Uh, as the years went on, Tommy and James formed a deep relationship that resulted in a marriage in 2001. Uh, however, Tommy was already married to a man named Aved Ahmed, uh, who she married in 1997 in order for Ahmed to gain U.S. citizenship. So she's like, I mean, she's touring with one of the biggest acts in the world, and she's still doing weird, sketchy, like, marrying people for citizenship scams. and like, yeah. You know, I mean, just a Las Vegas Janis Joplin impersonator that just says everything about her personality to me that someone would need to know, you know. Uh, And it's it's almost like I have this weird theory that it's like the movie Casino where like James Brown is the Robert De Niro character. And and Tommy Ray is like the ginger who has this weird guy like uh, Aved Ahmed, who's like, no, uh, you know, just marry him and it'll be fine, and hey, baby, I need you. You gotta marry me, they're gonna kick me out of the country. And she's like, but I'm on tour with James Brown. He's like, I know, baby, you just gotta do this one thing for me. And James Brown has no idea that this shit's going on, that he's being played for a fool. Uh, Ahmed would obviously be the Lester Diamond character of that scenario. Uh, (laughs) So, two years after marrying Tommy, James discovers that his wife and mother of his child, James II, was already a married woman. Uh, This infuriated the godfather of Soul he took out a full-page ad in Variety magazine to announce the annulment of his marriage. Uh, and it's also worth mentioning that his annulment was announced shortly after James had been accused of domestic violence against Tommy because, as I said, he was fucking infuriated that she was already married. He's a legend. Legends and people with a lot of power tend to freak out when someone gets one over on them. And, yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I have no and, doubt that he probably... And know, this is a couple this well, is yeah, years he after had his, a,
2: uh, his little breakdown where, you know... He was, oh high he on god had, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 where yeah. he busted
1: into a office complex but that was a,
2: yeah. that was like attributed to the fact that i think his son was like killed in like an automobile accident yeah so he, yeah i mean, I, mean yeah. I don't yeah so basically he had, what we're he saying had an amazing
3: is, run he had an amazing run yeah. uh throughout the 70s and even into the early 80s but yeah it wasn't in the jungle groove that in the eight, that was an 80s album right uh no that album that was in the uh, the early oh, 70s, the 70s oh but, okay um, but yeah, he d- James Brown did end up having a history of domestic violence, yeah, um, and, and that one's pretty well documented. Well, it's so, a man's world.
1: This is a man's yeah, world, oh <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> which I feel like is his his probably his right. argument, not mine.
2: <laughs> no, uh, not he's quoted as saying that, but know. it he wouldn't be saying. nothing without a woman or a girl. Oh well, so. hey, goddamn!
1: You ever the so, hear the that so, uh, James Brown layers <laughs> to it? James Brown has a really good song, which he does not perform at Woodstock 99, called King Heroin, uh, which I, I recommend Whoa. every everyone listen to. It's pretty dark. Uh, oh, yeah. But anyways, so Tommy goes on to have her marriage to Ahmed annulled in 2004, and that officially puts her back on the market. Now, in, in 2006, when James Brown died, there was a lot of dispute over how his estate would be divided, uh, mostly due To his ex-wife, Tommy Ray Brown, Uh, she claimed that because she was his wife and mother of his child, she deserved a wife's portion. But Brown's legal team claimed that because she was already married in 2001, uh, when she married James, that that marriage was invalid. You were already married. You can't marry someone else. You were never actually married legally to James Brown because of that. It it was their argument. Uh, So then she starts using the child and they're like, "Okay, well, we don't even think that that's James's kid. So that you know, they had to do DNA tests and, and all that stuff, and uh, also, you know, some of his roadies said, "No, James got a vasectomy in the '80s, and he, Damn. it couldn't be his." And I mean, it's just like a big fucking mess.
2: It's almost like uh, Anna Nicole and uh, Howard Stern, right? Because he was trying to claim that 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 that
1: oh oh Howard. Ra- Ster- sorry, yeah, I forgot yeah. that her
2: lawyer's name was Howard Stern yeah. as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's like uh, that's my kid. It's like no, it's not, no. We can prove. Yeah. <laughs> like this is something that we can actually prove. So. Yeah. So basically, and they locked her out of the estate and everything. She tried to go pick up her own things, like her clothes and shit, and they wouldn't even let her onto the property after like a lengthy legal battle. She finally uh, got her shit. But whether or not right. she got what she felt she deserved is uh, still to be seen. So, uh, but so, anyway, yeah. so the set continues now. Now it's time to bring out James Brown. Uh, and, you know, the amount of time that we just spent talking about his wife. That's like a fraction of the amount of time James Brown was not on stage during his own. (laughs) Right.
3: Right. And so uh, before we get to actually James Brown coming out, I do want to point out that bringing this this weird character in is it, it does show something about her place in his life, because I mean, everyone is here to see the legendary James Brown perform. And you have this person who is not completely lacking in talent but is i mean you watch the footage and she is not a, a fraction near James Brown's talent she was a janice Joplin impersonator she's doing this like white woman like whoa 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 kind of like this blues thing and it's it very extra no it's very extra it makes no sense she does like four or five songs it's it's <laughs> way too much and meanwhile everyone's but, like damn James
1: Brown looks different yes <laughs> like not, yeah. that's not what i expected him to, it, to look it's like it's bizarre
3: it's bizarre for 20 minutes no james anyway i just wanted to say that
1: <laughs> no yeah uh, exactly so he finally comes out and he's wearing this blue velvet silk shoot like suit you know three-piece deal classic james uh, and he opens with sex machine and you know he's killing it but the thing about james brown in his later years is he doesn't do like that much actual singing it's just like a lot of like yeah yeah like he says yeah like a million times in between songs and during like that's the bulk of it but i mean you get to see this guy and and that's really that's really the thing is you get to see james brown and that's more important than hearing him i think true uh you know and as the performance goes on he switches to the keys he plays keys on a couple songs uh, you know, screams, yeah, a bunch more times. It's good vibes all over, you know, uh, the nudity in the crowds already started. You can see it, you know, on the, on the pay-per-view feed and it's already super fucking hot. So the peace patrol during the first act already starts spraying the crowd with hoses. Uh, and, you know, while this set is enjoyable, it's actually pretty boring. Uh, it captures it the 69 vibe. But I mean, the reason why we're doing a 99 podcast and not a 69 one is because six, that's boring, <laughs> you know, it's, but it, it was well, a good, it, 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 it was a good pace car it, for the death race that Woodstock 99 would eventually uh, become. And that was on the East stage. So it's important for yeah. everyone to kind of know the layout here. Um, there's the East stage, which is the major stage, the, the main one, if you will. And then the West stage, which is the secondary one. And then there's the emerging artist stage, which is in a, like an indoor hangar uh, off to the side. So that was on, on the main stage. So first official main stage act. And uh, we do have some times like for, for the sets, there, there are approximations more than anything. It's kind of hard to lock down the actual like yeah. times they walked out on set, but James Brown uh, on paper was slotted to start at noon. So he played for about an hour and 15 minutes, like 12 to, to one 15 is the time we're roughly talking about here. Mm. Uh, so now we're going to jump over to the West stage for their first act. Uh,
3: Spitfire. So Spitfire is this uh, combination of Perry Farrell, uh, lead singer of Jane's Addiction, also started his own music festival, uh, Lollapalooza, which had already been going on years prior to uh, Woodstock 99. Uh, Very successful festival still goes on to this day. Uh, And then the uh, reggae uh, rapper activist Michael Franti from the uh, group Spearhead and uh, legendary clothing designer, Kenneth Cole. Uh, <laughs> I really wish that there was footage of this. The only thing I've been able to dig up is some articles in saying that uh, I guess Perry was kind of twiddling some knobs and making some sort of uh, techno music, uh, which in the late nineties sounds like a treat. Uh, while Franti was doing some like, you know, very socially charged uh, spoken word um, and still really no word as to what Kenneth Cole did if he was on stage or not. Um, he wore clothes. So, yeah, he had I mean, he makes a bunch of money off clothes, though, uh, doing a little bit of research on Kenneth Cole. It's always been uh, sort of after he became seriously successful, uh, just the, I guess like a side mission of his to always be talking about these social issues and sort of using his money and influence to do that. Um, which, you know, kind of brings into this interesting concept of these like mega rich Hollywood celebrities kind of banding together and making this cause, uh, which, you know, I tend to sometimes be skeptical of because it sometimes just looks like, look at me, I'm doing good for everybody. Um, fronty Michael fronty though I I mean he that's kind of always been his deal and he's not nearly as you know A list as a uh, Kenneth Colin uh, Perry Farrell um but so it's kind of like they probably needed fronty to like sort of feel like they had this credibility to be pulling off whatever bizarre spoken word techno bullshit that they're doing um <laughs> but apparently uh I'm hearing that I guess they opened every day on they the they opened
1: Asia. every day yeah they were uh, doing,
3: yeah, 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 doing yeah doing So they were doing the vibes. uh, So they were definitely probably trying to channel that 69 hippie vibe. Uh, Again, no footage of them, but uh, this allows us to, I can't remember if we've talked about the interviews yet, but there is footage of almost every single major performer uh, doing these backstage interviews, which is pretty fascinating. Um, For me, often the most fascinating thing about it is just largely the disconnect of these artists who are kind of just being pampered in these backstage areas, air conditioned and like kind of their perspective of the festival uh, versus kind of when you start to piece things together, how it is like, I don't think for the most part, they were necessarily aware of the conditions. Um, But so all that I could find is this uh, about eight minute long interview of Perry Farrell, Michael Franti and Kenneth Cole, sort of talking about what Spitfire is. And, um, So I have a couple highlights from the interview. One thing is that uh, the interviewer asked, did you see anything unusual? And uh, Franti immediately says $4 for a bottle of water. So, I mean, we should be playing bingo. (laughs) We should be playing bingo with like every time this $4 of water thing happens. Um, And then Franti again says, I haven't even made the walk to the West stage. Uh, Again, referencing how freaking massively far apart these two stages are. Um, So... Again, it's like Franti does seem to be a little more aware of just, yeah, I don't know, certain things, maybe certain things are wrong with it. Uh, but then uh, it gets it gets really funny because the, uh, you know, again, this this whole concept of Spitfire is this vague, like, we're here to, like, save the world thing. So the interviewer asked a perfect question to go along with that, where she asks Kenneth Cole, she just straight up says, well, we're hoping that uh, you can give us, everyone here who's working here, a free pair of shoes and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's shit's great. Fuck? Cause it's like, that's what, that's what you want. It's just like, you're talking to this designer. Let's get a bunch of shoes. Um, and then she completely changes the uh, interview and only starts asking Perry Farrell questions about Jane's addiction by far the most popular uh, group. And in, in this little weird threesome. And that is also just bizarre because it's kind of like, what is spitfire? Obviously let's just talk about Jane's addiction. And uh, I, I will admit, as a music fan, I don't know a whole lot about Perry Farrell, but I will say that watching this interview, I would maybe describe him as uh, Peter Pan on cocaine. Uh, he <laughs> has this incredibly like childlike demeanor that is just really off putting when, when the interviewer, Lear, asks him uh, if he is achieving his mission of spreading his sperm to as many people as possible. Um, and he just kind of has this reaction like, yes, like I am doing it. Like <laughs> I'm currently just, yes, my sperm is being spread everywhere. And then um, I, I did a little more digging uh, because then I realized that uh, Kenneth Cole back in the 80s, he had a huge AIDS awareness campaign. And so there is a funny moment where Farrell is just, I mean, his ego starts getting completely driven by this interviewer, just completely not focusing on spitfire and focusing on the seminal fluid coming out of his penis. And if he's achieving, like, (laughs) and, uh, and you can tell he's getting really stoked about talking about it, but then he, he has this moment where he remembers he's doing the spitfire thing. And so he kind of looks at Kenneth Cole and he says, I was very cautious, uh, as to like, sort of, he makes this reference about how you need to be careful about AIDS and all this stuff. And, uh, it just (laughs) seems like a really weird scene. Uh, the whole thing. Uh, again, I wish there was footage of it, but
1: I just don't know why they were there and why they let the. I mean, I get okay if they gave it's nineties,
3: it's nineties as fuck. That's why they were there. Yeah, okay,
1: yeah, very true. You know, and if G Love and Special Sauce can get can get two sets, you know, Spitfire can have three. You know, right. fuck
3: it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just one of those things. Uh It's kind of well, has that. Well, Jane's Addiction but, played ninety four, right? Didn't I think it? they did play ninety four. I mean. I I know
1: Perry Farrell in some, in some capacity performed, but I don't, I I can't say for sure if Jane's Addiction played. Again, we're 99, we're 99 guys. Right. Uh, but I like, what what other bands was he in? He
3: was he in, uh, he was in Pornos for Pyros. They played, they played 94. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and that's what, that's what you're thinking of. And
1: it was cool. It was, it was definitely probably cooler than, than a Spitfire, uh set yeah uh, yeah so then you know jumping back so that's on west stage jumping back to the east stage now uh we got g love and special sauce for the second uh, time yeah they played two days in a row um, yeah and they're introduced like they have a celebrity I- introducer which is going to be a thing that we're going to see for the rest of the festival they're going to constantly bring up movie stars and tv stars and such to uh, announce bands And uh, Stephen Baldwin is uh, brought on stage after, you know, the announcer. What did did
3: he say? Well, so first off, we, uh, before this podcast uh, wraps, we need to do some serious research on this announcer. He's got an incredibly gravelly voice. He sounds like Marty Funkhauser. He's like, and you guys are going to have a great time at Woodstock. And uh, and because they're having a celebrity announce G-Love, they have to have an announcer for the announcer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we, we have a clip God. of this. We, we're, we promise, we, we need to make this promise that we're going to dig up the dirt on this uh, this particular announcer with the gravelly voice. But we have a clip, right, of, of him introducing Stephen Baldwin, who then introduces G-Love.
0: Yes. You might have seen the movie Usual Suspects. Threesome. That was a good flick. Threesome.
1: He's gonna be in a brand new movie coming up in about a few months. Flintstones.
0: Viva Rock Vegas. Say hello to Stephen Baldwin. Wherever yes. he maybe Stephen Baldwin. Good looking bastard. Stephen. so
3: On there, uh, crop top. He comes out in a crop top. First off, comes out in a crop top. But for but I think he the guy says, and he's about to be in Flintstones Viva Rock Vegas. Dude. That is like that is so nineties. That's this is these are the types of things that we're hoping this podcast we will we will destroy the the nostalgia for the nineties for yeah with things like that like the fact that that was that was like a big selling point. You know, well, a cross-motion yeah. I mean, with, with a live-action Flintstones?
1: Right. Well, I mean, that's always kind of the fun part about going back in time is, like, you know, to us, you're like, yeah, the Flintstones, like, sequel, like, what a fucking steaming pile of shit. But, like, at one point in time, that was something to look forward to. Like, oh, man, dude, I can't wait for that next Flintstones movie to to come out. Uh, but also the guy that, that brings Baldwin out, uh, like, as he's bringing him out, screams, like, fucking you know he's a beautiful man like he, he like expresses how attractive he thinks baldwin is and then he comes out and he's got bleached hair he's got some tattoos again like this crop top thing going on looking like a roadie for nine inch nails <laughs> like straight up and, and then you know he says you know yeah he talks he's talking about the naked people like you heard it's like dude that's also that's going to be the first uh instance of someone mentioning the naked people everyone on stage after that is is gonna is gonna bring it up but then he pops the
2: shirt off incessant he pops the shirt off and he turns around and he like point like it's almost like he he has these tattoos on his back and it's like almost like he got them that day or something they're like grand theft auto yeah yeah and he's like
1: (laughs) (laughs) no they're like grand theft auto tattoos like like it's like okay now select a left shoulder tattoo yeah now now select a a belly (laughs) tattoo but
2: maybe he was just in the spirit for woodstock 99 man he was Pierce, tatted and ready to <laughs> fucking rock dude he knew it yeah. was up we might need to investigate there might have been some serious
3: ink work happening on site oh probably uh, like, yeah. be, a lot of tats actually look very fresh at this festival
1: yeah dude i'm going to woodstock 99 like you know nowadays it's like yeah. you know all the stores have their like coachella summer fashions or like you know i've seen stores where it's like get all your burning man shit here it's like for woodstock 99 it was like get your fucking eyebrow pierced and, you know, get like a skull yeah. on your shoulder. <laughs> like that was like the, the big blowout sale. But also, you know, that is the way that he says G love and special sauce on this show. You will never hear anyone that excited about talking about G love and special sauce.
2: Yeah. Ever. Yes. That, that, that's that's oh the peak God.
1: level of excitement about G love that, that you're going to get. Yeah, on it's the, on bad, this
2: show. man. Well, before we, if, mean, when we were working on, his announced- when we were working on like the, this episode, uh remember me and Ryan would get together we tried to watch this set uh I think twice and uh couldn't do it, man. Couldn't fucking mm. do it. Twice
1: you-
3: it's yeah. awful. Yeah.
2: They had they had to pass it on to me. They you know, they said, hey, <laughs> yeah, we kicked Take, we take kicked. out the trash. So I <laughs> I've actually watched
3: <laughs> I, I have watched G Love's performance uh in its entirety uh twice. oh Bless your heart. Um and, and I really I, I could not wait for this recording day because I felt like I needed to stick to the Friday bands. And uh, I mean, the thought of, you know, just watching G-Love again, just it made me want to it made me want to quit this whole this whole project. <laughs> altogether. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say um, something similar to that. It's that bad. Yeah. Baldwin's uh, hyped up introduction of I friggin love this band. They're going to friggin rock. Release. I mean, that's that is the high point of excitement for uh, G-Love. But. Uh, this is our podcast and you're going to listen to us talk about them because yeah, I didn't watch I did they did their song Cold Beverage which if,
2: to me I wonder that, that that really could have been where the riot started because you know people at that point they're like you know what I do need a fucking cold beverage <laughs> Like, damn that sounds like yeah. licking their chops like yeah.
3: in the crowd like hungry dogs <laughs> like, so. Oh, I'm going to yeah. blame it all on G-Love <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you want to say that but then you look at the crowd and they love it oh yeah they oh. Love no they definitely G-Love is killing it and here and I have some themes theories why. So I this is one of those 90s bands that I would be pretty su- I mean obviously you know what the Chili Peppers sound like. I'd be pretty surprised if you had actually listened to them before. Um but what I can gather is that the reason they exist is kind of in that post Red Hot Chili Peppers sublime thing even thing re- of this sort of the, the White Boy rap, but you're not actually a rapper. Uh, you're doing it over, you know, like rock and blues and funk but you're doing this rap thing. And actually the set opens with this kind of rap about like a rap about rappers, I guess kind of that, like just (laughs) like, you can't understand like fucking heavy D and he, but he has this uh, demeanor, which again is a super nineties thing of like the white guy, uh, sort of dressing like the stereotypical, like seventies black pimp. Uh, (laughs)
1: Dude, that's (laughs) exactly, I I literally thought (laughs) that. Yeah. Yeah. He's
3: dressed like a college lazy. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he's got this kind of like lazy like what's up baby kind of this thing and they're actually like a pretty loose sloppy band. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like that's part of the aesthetic. Um so it's these kind of like weird sex raps or like these raps about you know smoking a smoking a joint, drinking a 40, but then he every time he'll occasionally sing and then it'll get that kind of the sublime thing where it's sort of the like I'm really damaged uh, but I'm going to like sing a pretty song about like, you know, how I'm dating a 12 year old girl on heroin or whatever like that. I mean, <laughs> he, he doesn't get that. He He's not as extreme as Sublime, but I realize that there is that sublime ballad influence mixed with the like cool Chili Peppers rap. And uh, I'm even going to say, even though I'm a, I've been traditionally a big fan of Beck, I think that Beck might have a little something yeah, to blame with why g Love exists. Just in that kind of it's that like the lazy boy, like I'm just so cool and disaffected. Um you just said cool chili it, peppers rap. Oh, cool chili peppers rap. No, no, I said cool. I said no, no. Well, okay, I'm going to go ahead and say it now. After watching G-Love, it makes me want the chili peppers. Yeah, okay. Because I, mean, I can be, okay. because it's like they G-Love is doing that funk thing so poorly that you're just like, well, at least the chili peppers were like doing something to make it exciting, you know, like whereas G-Love it stays it, it, it honestly Probably laid the ground for the Black Keys because it's Ooh, that blues wow. thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh damn! It's got that bluesy, crunchy tone. Uh, for some reason, he can't stand up. He has to like kind of perch his ass like halfway yeah, yeah, on the stool, <laughs> which, is, which is again probably. Well, that's what you know what they should champ- have. They
2: shouldn't have never left the fucking coffee shop. In my mind, like, I know. Yeah, but somehow they blew up. Um, they're doing like a reunion yeah. right now. All all yeah. what three of
3: them? Yeah. They're, yeah. They're yeah. Playing yeah. Playing <laughs> Well, it's probably just uh, glove. Uh, I, I'm sure he changes the members <laughs> out. The, the, the special sauce,
1: glove. special
3: sauce is very vague. Um, so he does these bad like blues guitar solos, um, and he does a song called "My Baby's Got Sauce." So remember, in case you can't follow. It's G Love and special sauce, and the song is called "My Baby's Got Sauce." And uh, they must be from New York, I think, because this, the chorus of the song is like, my baby's got sauce. And then sure. the drummer has a mic. He's like, my baby's got sauce. And they keep just like saying it over and over
2: again. And it's like, well, they want you to, they want you to yeah. fucking know that well, baby's, we also, baby's yeah. got sauce. Yeah, yeah, sauce, you know, that you, you leave that in your fridge for a while. It lasts, it lasts for a while. So sauce is a good The thing. sauce lasts for yeah. a while. It lasts longer than juice. Um, um, well,
1: it, you, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one thing that but when I, the, amount of the g-love and special sauce set that i watched i noticed in the crowd you know at, at these big festivals like where people come from all over the country and and all over the world you know the tendency is to bring big flags like you know you always see someone from texas with like a texas flag nowadays you see a lot of like rainbow flags and stuff and uh, at woodstock 99 a lot of people came from canada so you see lots of canadian flags in the crowd during G Love, some guy just like shamelessly is holding up this giant rebel flag, oh, yeah, the just stars like this and giant bars. Confederate flag, oh. like, like just like I love I you guys, <laughs> like dude,
0: heritage wow. not hate,
1: man. <laughs> yeah, dude, like just repping it so hard. So you know, maybe uh G Love has some you know alternate you know alternative motives here. You know, maybe maybe He's- there's a secret <laughs> fan base. You know, like uh, the alt right when they said that Depeche Mode was their band. Maybe it's Richard Spencer. Yeah, maybe it's actually G Love. Uh, yeah.
3: <laughs> that sounds like a whole nother investigation. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, speaking of crowds, though, I, I, I didn't I didn't notice the rebel flag, but I did notice something incredible, and I will have to give uh, G Love the credit of being, I guess, the uh, the canvas in which such an amazing uh, thing could happen. And uh, about fifteen minutes into the set. There's a guy crowd surfing. He is laying down on his back. So his back is up. He's facing the ground and people are holding him up as he's laying, you know, parallel, horizontal. And then on top of him is a guy standing (laughs) on top of him. And you can see him kind of making these hand motions like he's swimming. And he's telling the crowd to get ready because he's about to jump off of the guy he's standing on into the crowd uh he's he's literally crowd surfing he is actually <laughs> surfing on another human being uh and so i mean that alone you know that's actually that, was, that there's a picture of that in one
1: of the the uh daily sentinels the the rome new york like newspaper we we have that photo of that we We should put that on the ground we'll we'll, we'll, we'll post that for sure um also you know just before before we keep going here just like a quick reminder folks uh we just put up a youtube channel so all these videos that we're talking about you can go to the podcast 99 youtube channel we made playlists that uh coincide with each day so you can watch all these videos that we've watched uh and we highly recommend it because someone needs to share uh this pain uh and and so okay so that that was g love that was on the e stage
3: yeah wait wait I, sorry i the, i I have one more note about g yes that's it that's it if, if i may yeah. so uh I the only yeah, other because i watched the set i watched the whole set damn it so i, I need my time I gotta, so, uh, he covers, and I think it's interesting to whenever they do do like sixties covers, uh, a lot of bands will throw in sixties covers. So, you know, might as well be a good time to just point them out when they happen. So G love covers, uh, Donovan's classic song season of the witch, which I think if you know, that's just, it's an incredible song. I mean, Donovan's a a great uh, sixties artist. Um, and so the chorus or like the pre chorus that song is, uh, you've, got to pick up every stitch. And the only thing I wanted to say about that is G-Love... He says, you gots to pick up every stitch. Uh-huh. Um, and so he's just doing this coup. Cool, I'm a coup. Cool, like, I'm hanging out on the stoop. You gots to pick up the stitch, baby. And it's a I'm done. And that's it. That's all there is to uh, it. With a so fucking I fedora. Say, oh, dude. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, he, he did pave the way for Jason Mraz, I think. So, oh, and again, John Mayer, then, I would say, too. And Mayer, I would say. Though, mm. I mean, he can't really play the, the guitar like John Mayer. No. I mean, it's he's so sloppy, but it just, again, just the aesthetic, you know, I think I think we got to move on. Yeah. From, from
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So so we're jumping back over now to, to, to the West stage. Uh, the time now, again, loosely, we're, we're talking uh, that this slot's going to be like, like the, the G love slot. That's like one thirty ish is when that starts uh, on the West stage. Now it, we're jumping back. It's around. This is around one o'clock ish. One fifteen ish is when this band starts. Uh, we have
2: Oleander. Yeah, this kind of going back to what Park said earlier, like this is one of those bands that made me want to just give up on this whole idea altogether. (laughs) (laughs) What trash. Uh They're a a post-grunge band from Sacramento, California, and uh, they released their major label debut February Sun in February of 1999. So they're promoting this album. They're doing that whole thing. And uh, I would say that's like the peak of their career. For the most part. Yeah. I it doesn't mean, really get much better after that for them. Um, but they, but I will were say. They on, uh, one of the Nows. They were on Now 3 or 4. Oh, okay. Well, I know well, so. by the end of, or by May of 2000, the album actually went gold. And, uh nice. So, you know, good for them. But uh, this album also features, like, the the UK release of this album. They have a, a cover of Boys Don't Cry by The Cure. Uh, and I actually have a quote about that. When asked about the, the cover, frontman Thomas Flowers explained, that the song really typifies and exemplifies everything that I'm already trying to say on this album. So, <laughs> so, wow. so, I might as well
1: just use someone yeah. else's song to do it. <laughs> and, yeah. they, and they Yikes. play that during their set. They play a cover of "Of Boys Don't Cry." Yeah. D- during yeah, their they do. Set. They do. Yeah. Uh, but
2: Thomas Flat. I mean, this guy looks like fucking Tom Cruise. He's chomping on gum the whole time. This whole band is really really pisses me off. The drummer, <laughs> the drummer looks like Guy Fieri, kind of. Like yes. he also looks the like, he, yeah, he looks like, the he looks like the fucking Gosh, yeah. manager at the bar and grill you work at that would, you know, try to finger fuck you when you ask him for a raise in the office, you know, like <laughs> he just looks like a, I hate it. But then you got the, the uh, you look at the bass player and he looks like every fucking like bass player in your first band.
0: Well, Do you know what yeah, I, just,
1: like, I mean, a lot of the, the well, clothing the, was not, uh, like he something just looks to care like about a, <laughs> f- yeah. in a lot of these bands, you know, but also, you know, we've been keeping track of like best and worst dressed. You know, like, like, throughout this thing, so we can make like a compilation. Are you really going to say
2: that the singer had. I, I was, I was go- originally,
1: okay, be- before I watched more and more sets, when I got to Oleander, I thought, I was like, you know what? The singer, he's up for best dressed. Like, he's got this sleeveless, like, it, you know, he's like, uh, he's. Seems to be in shape, I will say. He's got this sleeveless black shirt on, the black glasses, black pants, like just all black. He's which got honestly, the like
2: studded choker too. Right,
1: and that sounds so simple, but like compared to just like cargo shorts and like a fucking Hawaiian shirt, which most people on the stage of Woodstock '99 yeah, wore, like yeah. it, it is a step above, but. No, there's, yeah. there's people that did yeah. dress better, but I just want to give them a little credit by saying like, at least okay. you weren't the shittiest that day. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
2: well, going back to, you know, their album, you were Fig- for the most not shittiest. Yeah. <laughs> well, going back to their album, February sun, um, in promotion of this album, they actually opened, uh, they went on these tour, uh, tours with, uh, these, these other headliners and they were opening for them like a uh, Creed and our lady piece, which I don't, if you don't know already, they also played Woodstock 99, which is interesting. And then, uh, in December of 99, Oleander and Kid Rock actually performed a charity concert for the uh, Atlanta Community Food Bank. So I don't know who was a fan of who. I'm hoping that Kid Rock wasn't into this bullshit because we, uh, we know the kid don't fuck around. You know? We'll get to that. We'll get to that later, though. Uh, we'll that. But going back to what you were saying earlier about um, how a lot of these bands didn't really have the perspective of like the crowd itself. From what I've read so far, this is one of the only bands that actually, like, after they played, they spent the next day like at the festival, on the grounds. And uh, actually I actually have a quote mm. from the singer Thomas Flowers. And he says, uh, "He says it was overwhelming misery. <laughs> it, yeah. And then he says, it didn't surprise yes. me to hear the riots, or it didn't surprise me to hear of the riots on Sunday because the conditions of the environment seemed very, very much like when prison conditions cause prisoners to riot. It was that bad. When you're selling bottles mm. of water for $4 to people who have a need for water, that's pretty bad. It was something that I was not very proud of to view. There was a stench of human waste that you could not get away from for a quarter mile walk. There was overwhelming garbage heaps everywhere. Jesus. <laughs> so you got, so you got to give some props to that. Yeah. You got to give some props
3: to step out. Yeah. They were
2: there and they and they realized, you know, yeah, but they were, you know, the music this might is, suck. You know, they were, they were pretty new. I would say at this point, um, but like many of their contemporaries, there their music was doomed to be the soundtrack uh, for shows like Dawson's Creek and the fucking titty comedy explosion of the '90s. You know, <laughs> titty
1: comedy. They were
2: they were they were in both American yes. Pies. Uh, they both? were oh. there's like six
1: American Pies. Yeah. now. Well, dude.
2: the first two, the, the only the, the two. real ones. Yeah, the yeah, real the ones. ones. Yeah. They were in Scary Movie and uh, and they were also in the blockbuster smash Spider Man, which you know, not a titty comedy, but there's some nipples in that movie, right?
1: Somewhere, <laughs> maybe under the yeah. shirts. Who knows? But they got him. Well, the famous rain scene, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The upside down, a uh, winner of uh, the MTV Movie Awards Best Kiss Award uh, for that yeah. year.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's that's yes. pretty much it for this band. I mean, I I, I kind of tried to get a little deeper into it, and and it that's the most interesting aspect of their entire career. So.
1: yeah Yeah. you can't really go the next thing i
2: heard was like in 2008 a myspace account was created for oleander and i'm like who the fuck Uh puts that like why is that part of your story it's a milestone (laughs) you know think about how long they went without one yeah Yeah.
1: it's live
2: (laughs) yeah yeah
3: (laughs) well but i mean i guess you could note that this is maybe the first of the uh the really heavy bands uh just like the really sort of just going into that aggressive grunge new metal slash metal yeah uh, yeah kind of thing yeah yeah um, they, were the,
2: they were the first band I mean, with
1: distortion to play that day for sure
2: and and even well, they kind of it's just like yeah. that x games music you know like that yeah. like yeah you know what i mean it's like that like i mean they're from fucking sacramento and they don't they don't they they, they mentioned that quite a few times during their set i think they they're like you know we're from sacramento california home to and they release all they they name all these bands like the like the Tones and, and bands like that. And he's like mm. in the some of the baddest motherfucking bands in the world. Like and, he, <laughs> and then he steps back and chomps his gum. Like God, <laughs> it's you just gotta see it. It's it's shit. No, no, I I, I know what you mean about when uh,
3: when everyone on, on stage is chewing the gum uh, profusely. It, it it's a it's a weird vibe. It's that for
2: side sure. chew. You know the one that's like yeah. you know what I mean? Like the dude, you gotta work like, off the like fucking the, the drug the, somehow. the douche the douche chew the douche chew it's either i chew gum
1: or i just grind my teeth into powder (laughs) because of all this damn rome new york blow i just did before playing woodstock Um, 99 uh yeah so and and that was that's on the west (laughs) stage so the 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 main stage is still going uh but we're gonna we're gonna skip to the next thing on on the west stage which was mo uh another like jam band would have fit much better on the pre-show day uh, but like somehow weasled their way into playing like third or fourth, like at at the actual event. Uh, but you know Mo is, you know,
3: fairly unremarkable. Mo, Mo. I mean their name Mo. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure. Sh- I'm sure it's there's such this, a like fucking incredibly. Sticker. Dr- yeah, like I'm sure there's there's this like incredibly drawn out like acid filled reason as to why their name is Mo with, but, a, with like, a period. Just Don't forget the period. Mo, um, yeah, there's also a trend of of bands uh there was a small trend, I would say of that sort of that one syllable name you had mo, lit and live uh creed <laughs> that for instance those are just a few that come to mind uh I think that I think there corn. was just sort of the sense corn of just like Damn, Bush, bo- yeah, yeah. Jewel, yeah, Fuck, yeah, you go. get out of my head, <laughs> yeah well I, I Na- put, these I'll noun put names a little different, um. But yeah, it was a trend. I think maybe just kind of like, yeah, this one word. I mean, it's like pa- power, like creed. I mean, that, you know, if you didn't wham. know what creed was, <laughs> you might think that <laughs> it's like, it's yeah like, lit. <laughs> you might think that they were a good band, but with Mo, it's like trying to do that, but then definitely like ripped the bong a few too many times before the name was finalized, because it's Mo. I mean, like Mo. Like what I,
0: <laughs> I, I mean, I guess I,
3: I guess it was my responsibility to figure out what their name was, but I I it's more interesting to just leave it. Um But yeah, they are a jam band. I think my summation of them would be if like five like guitar center, like managers, like store managers all went to some sort of like, like, uh, I don't know, like a pedal, like a foot pedal convention in Vegas. And then they all like, (laughs) but then they were all like, we're, you know, we, we don't, we don't really like metal, you know, like we want to jam and they're all like smoking a doobie and like the back parking lot of this hotel convention and it's just like, Oh my God, like we should all start a band together. (laughs) Um, and it's just like, yeah, it's like a guitar center. Like they, the the thing I noticed is they have all, they all have so many pedals. And so it's just like way different ways to just kind of pepper up and spice up your, uh, just generic, like white boy jam, just jam. solo. they
1: do have, they do have 69 vibes. For sure. There's a, there's, there's a shimmer of Woodstock, uh, the the original Woodstock in them. Um, you know, there's, there's also a a major shimmer of 99 in them because collectively, uh, they're in my running for worst dressed as a whole. Uh, there there's tons and tons of cargo shorts uh, on stage, bucket hats, t-shirts that are way too big, uh, sandals with, with Velcro. I mean, every single thing that you could do to end up on the Woodstock 99, like fashion faux pas, like yeah, that's, that's what you're getting. But you know, they want to be fucking comfortable. I get it. It's hot, you know, and uh, their music reflects that. No one's really expecting these guys to be like hot, you know, <laughs> or like to be like sexy <laughs> rock stars. It's mo,
3: you know. <laughs> it's mo. It's-, it's mo. Yeah. You can tie them back uh, to another Woodstock artist, um, Rusted Root, because they oh, God. some of their songs have this this uh, this I, I guess like an Afro pop kind of vibe to it. Uh, Dave Matthews as well. That that was like. You know, there was a strong little trend of the sort of this African influence uh, mixed into your 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 typical jam music. I'm sure because of how white they were, they're like, let's try to, like, incorporate the blackest <laughs> thing we can imagine. Um, but <laughs> bon- it, 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 yes, you got to <laughs> have bong, you got to have some bongos. Um, and I don't know, the only the only other weird thing I, we don't we, we don't have to focus on them too much. We do so much jam and the other stuff is that. They oddly get very like sort of Bob Dylan y folk rock at the end, and uh, they just like I think they even do a song about New York, and it sort of turns into this weird like folk rock thing. And uh, they do a cover of the Ramones "I Want to Be Sedated," um, and what? I mean it's not it's not good for sure, um, but it is interesting <laughs> to it's interesting to see them kind of like trying to do the punk chug. And like, keep it up and like not fuck it up because it's like not the noodly music that they're used to. Um, so it's kind of like you know, I just have I just rooting for them, like, yeah, man, you keep that chug going, you know?
1: Yeah, they're probably going. getting a little tired, like, you know, in the wrist. Yeah, well, you know, actually, I don't know. Dude, These
3: guys look like they get a lot of wrist workout, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Doing the puffed out cheeks, they're like, yeah. <laughs> Shit. man, that that Ramones cover, man, it's two and a half minutes, but it was pretty long. I think we saved long. it for the
1: end, yeah, uh, yeah,
3: <laughs> um, and then. There was also just like a very tiny uh, Hendrix Star Spangled Banner tribute at the very end. Just like kind of like a couple notes uh, just again for the history nerds. Just any time there's a reference back, I always like to mention it.
1: Right. And there's going to be but, there's going to be a few of those.
3: Uh, yeah. But I don't know. They're just another fucking jam band. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But, you know, just for reference now, keep in mind, like one of the things we want to keep stressing to everyone is how fucking hot it is. Uh, you know, it, it it reached over 100 degrees on, on, on these days during the peak of the day. And when Mo played, that's like roughly 2 o'clock-ish, like 2.15-ish. So yeah, you're, you're like at all the way. peak, like sun up, you know, and and you're also, as the day goes on, you're getting to the peak number of people that are going to be there for that day and for the festival because most of these people aren't leaving. So like the huge amount of people that you see come in on the first day they're there for the the long run. It doesn't like air yeah. out at, at all ever. So like you're just standing right. there getting you know acoustic guitars fucking noodled in your face with all these effects pedals, and you're dying of sweat. And there's like a naked guy next to you, That's and like a nightmare. people crowd surfing, yeah. and like you can't get to the water. And you're like, holy shit, it's four fucking dollars. Like that, you know what I mean? All yeah. all this shit is going on right now. You know what I mean? Like don't, true. Don't get lost in the music. Like keep in yes. mind, like like. It's true. The whole thing is is consistently breaking down this entire time. Yes, uh, it's
3: brewing. And, and 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 if you look at even the crowd shots of even Mo and even Oleander who's even earlier in the day, uh you look at the crowd shots and it's already just I mean an ungodly amount of people watching these bands. Uh so so in that sense the attendance was a huge success. Um it was already just starting <laughs> that's to That's about thing. it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Hey, well, we got him here. But it but it's brewing. It's brewing the 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 story, right but but they
1: they they kept it day one they they did really well like like one of the things that they that was smart was it for the most part uh until it gets a little bit later in the evening it's like peaceful kind of easygoing bands you know where yeah like the hardest thing you're gonna see before like it before like the evening is oleander you know what i mean because right after mo on the west stage going back to the east stage now around like 245 like like 3 ish is probably when they start you have Jamariquai. and that th- uh. this is like a classic woodstock 99 set like whenever you look through like a, a rolling stone about it or any newspapers or like video flashes they always just show like a clip uh, just cuz every i mean it's good time you know what i mean and and it was they were huge at the fucking time you know what I mean? And uh, the guy, he's up for both best and worst dressed, uh, their singer, because he's got this yes. amazing- j- uh, like,
3: JK. That's his name, JK. JK. <laughs> yeah, so j- don't be confused. Jamiroquai is the name of the band. It's not the name of the dude. Right, it's like Blondie. The, yeah. Yes, it's like Blondie.
1: Right. So yeah, so the guy that I used to think was Jamiroquai, actually JK, Jamiroquai is the name of the band, is wearing this giant feather, like Aztec-esque like hat like headpiece uh and then just like baggy jeans and like a baggy button-up shirt
3: <laughs> like, it's like he got yeah. the hat on i was like yeah
1: that's good enough yeah you know and like. <laughs>
3: and, and i i think i was i was looking and i, I realized i guess him having like freaky headgear is kind of like the calling card it's like one of their iconic things uh it would it would be funny to note that if uh Kawhi uh had same uh native american headdress in 2017 his ass would be blasted on twitter for it (laughs) oh yeah uh, because (laughs) while a talented band he is very very white uh and i he's got he's got though man he's calling back to his heritage i think he probably just thinks it's really groovy uh to be wearing it
1: right (laughs)
3: right no yes yeah
1: there's Um, definitely a little appropriation going on but uh i mean dude if we want to talk cultural appropriation i'm gonna go back to g love and and just say like hey buddy uh certain cultures aren't costumes. <laughs> you, know, you can't just be like a laid back seventies Detroit pimp, you know, cause you feel like it. <laughs> so yeah. Some people might oh, take yeah. offense.
3: G <laughs> loves, G loves guilty too. Yeah. He's doing some weird limp wristed stuff. Um, but yeah, Kwai, I, I will say though that, um, so in, in watching all these videos, I mean, there are, there's a, a scant few that I I do enjoy. And, uh, sometimes there'll be these weird in betweens where, even if it's not necessarily the music I would put on uh, when, because some of the bands are just so terrible, like the offspring, which we'll get to uh, when a band like Jamiroquai just like step, this sounds so douchey, but when they step up and just actually do like a professionally good performance and like sound really good, you're just like, wow, like you actually managed to like sound really good. And um, Jamiroquai definitely does that. It's this like weird funk jazz, but they're all British. Um, totally and everyone loves of, it yeah yeah kind of this acid uh loungy stuff but i will say that the jk the singer uh he has like an inc- he's like killing it with his vocals live uh because that's a big thing of woodstock is a lot of uh the vocalists uh really ate shit super hard uh, and just <laughs> like don't sound nearly as good as they do on their studio recordings and i will give him the credit i'll give jk the credit of sounding almost identical to the studio recordings um, yeah no i, so, I would say so they, that
1: i mean you know some of the bands yeah they do sound really good and part of the reason why some bands like while they're all really professional and they're all like huge mainstream hit acts uh why some sound like shit and some sound really good it's it's basically falls on the professionalism of the band because they were line checking these bands like yeah, yeah. like yeah you know most of the time you know i'm sure bands like, like metallica and and you know some of the headliners got like a special sound check. But for the most part, like in the pay-per-view footage, you can hear them being like, okay, like hi-hat stage, right? You know what I mean? Like they're checking everyone's levels on the fucking fly. So like, unless you have like your own team of people that can like, you know, plug your shit and like manage your shit, you're just kind of left to the wolves. So like, you know, bands like, you know, just like smaller club rock bands, like, like offspring Mm -hmm. or, um, uh, Buck cherry would be another one that played like, they sound like shit because they're not, like used to playing in like a fucking stadium type setting. You know what I mean? Like they're used to tiny rock club, not tiny, but just like clubs, you know what I mean? And that it doesn't necessarily translate. Well, Jamiroquai though, also he's one of the people that, that mentions nudity. Like we said, like Baldwin was the first (laughs) to to mention the nude people. Jamariquai is definitely one of the bigger ones that, that comes shortly after. Uh, he literally opens up a song by saying, Breasts, 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 breasts. Like as <laughs> yes. he like tramps across the stage, is breasts, breasts, breasts. Yes. Like it, it's yes. it's really bizarre. Like I don't even know if he's like that interested. Like you know, other people will mention you know boobs like in particular, but that's to me is like the classiest uh mention of the nudity the, the <laughs> yeah. entire. Just like breasts, breasts,
2: breasts. Yeah, he said breasts. It's, he's like I think almost. Whiteclev like, said titty. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh yeah. I <laughs> yes. mean, well, Dave he Matthews says, says titty
3: like, They also t- yeah. um, and actually, yeah. And, uh, he actually, so, or, well, the band covers, uh, because they're like a disco kind of band, they cover, uh, the Rolling Stones, disco rock crossover, classic miss you. Um, and I, I, upon a few listens realized, so, you know, a big part of that song is just, you know, Mick Jagger going, I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you. And he says it over and over again. And uh, this they play miss you after he's made the titties comment. And I guess it does sort of stick in his mind that there's a lot of breasts around because he starts changing the words uh, in that breakdown to I'm going to miss those. I'm going to miss those. <laughs> and then at some point he just says it. he says, I'm going to miss those breasts. Uh, and so he like turns the whole th- it's it's pretty funny. I mean, it's super bro bro stuff, but I'm, I'm almost miss those tits. Hey, what, um, hey, whatever, man. So, you know, it's like I mean. Not every uh, concert. I'm sure, like I'm sure Mick Jagger, you know, wasn't disappointed by his cover.
1: Yeah. Like <laughs> Mick Jagger, <like, laughs> I missed hits too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, after Jamaica, so that was on the East stage, the main stage. Bouncing back now to the West stage, uh, we have my favorite act uh, mm-hmm. of of day one. Uh, besides besides corn, which we'll get to much later. But uh, the umbilical brothers. Now, yes. the Umbilical Brothers, this is a complete fucking wild card. Like the only act that e- can you can even compare content wise to them uh, would be like Spitfire to where it's like you're not a band, like you're not yeah. doing like a set, like what the fuck, like why are you even here who invited you? Uh, Umbilical Brothers, it's an Australian comedy duo uh, headed up by Shane Dundas and David Collins. Uh, These guys met at a college party where Collins broke Dundas's nose uh, on accident while just flailing around, being like the loud Australian comic genius that I guess he is. Uh, And like a eureka moment, they made quick friends and began writing comedy routines together. Uh, They've done tons of TV, you know, all this shit in Australia. They've released a bunch of specials. Uh, They've been on all the American late night talk shows, all that stuff. And their act is like sound effects. Like they'll do like, it's like miming. Yeah. It's like miming, but they do make sound effects. So it's almost like that guy from like police academy and like (laughs) space balls, like like mixed with mimes or like charades. And, uh, you know, like they'll do like a Kung Fu fight. So one guy's just like, and then the other guy like does a flip. I don't know. It's so bad, uh, that the crowd hates it too.
2: Uh, yeah we're not and having it.
1: And the footage is funny cuz their set is 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 about like it's right around like 3:30 in the afternoon. It's a 15 minute set. It, they're originally billed from 3:25 to 3:40. So they're not up there for a long time. Uh if anything they're just getting in the way of stagehands like setting up for the next band. I I don't know why they were fucking invited. Yeah, it's weird. And neither does anyone in the crowd. Like From the first 20 seconds they come out, people start booing, start saying, like, what the fuck is this? Like, you know, going crazy. And also in the footage, it's hilarious because there's a woman on top, like, on her, you know, who I assume would be, like, her boyfriend or a friend's shoulders. And she's butt naked. Totally nude. So (laughs) so just, like, vagina pressed against the back of your neck on, like, a 100-degree day. And and they're, like, right up front. So you can see all the peace patrol, like, security security guys, like, taking pictures with their disposable cameras. It's like, hey, check that (laughs) out. Like...
3: Yeah. Like, well, she thought that she still had a chance to take a shower at that point. Yeah. So. <laughs> Spray me. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. Yeah. And, and it's only like in a couple hours into the first day and people are already fucking, you know, losing it like that. But the, so they're on stage and they open their act by being like, we brought an original, you know, attendee from, from the original Woodstock here. And then the other one comes out acting like he's like using a walker. You know, he's like, doing like this really tweaked, like old woman impression. And then then they break out into a kung fu fight. And at one point during the set, like clear as day, you hear a guy in the crowd say, what the fuck is this shit?
2: (laughs) When you showed me that clip the first time, I I couldn't breathe. I lost my mind over that. And so so because
1: because because we love you guys listening to us, we're going to play this clip right now. This is the umbilical brothers being heckled during their set at Woodstock 99. that again in slow motion okay dude so yes everyone like i mentioned earlier we have a youtube channel now with playlists for all the days you can go and see that set i mean in that video it's not even their whole set like i said they did like a 15 minute thing there's only five minutes uh, of it up there and i can't you know i i can't tell if if they got booed off the stage or if it's just like a short video or if they just gave up or or, or what have you after you know everyone started yelling at them and they got a glimpse of that naked woman on on the guy's shoulders or or what i'd like to think that they were just completely (laughs) booed off the stage uh but you know at woodstock 99 things uh rarely go the way you want them to (laughs) <laughs> is uh, is something that that I've learned. So now yeah. we're we're gonna ban- bounce over uh to, to the east stage again. Now we're talking about four four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, yeah. So, so it's probably getting you know a a little cooler. Probably not because again there's hundreds of thousands of people there. The body heat alone would would make this miserable. Uh, but not as miserable as that heat would be if you had to watch the band live perform. <laughs>
2: yeah. You know, it's funny. Ooh. I actually saw live. I think a couple of months a couple of months back at a festival in Del Mar and uh Yeah, I had a really bad time. <laughs> Wait, you 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 saw live. I saw live, live. live. And I saw Lannis set li- the live. same day. So I got I got some you Woodstock ninety nine alumni out of yeah, it. You, yeah, you
1: you kinda went to Woodstock wow. ninety nine. <laughs> so yeah,
2: a little bit about live. Uh are awful American rock band from York, Pennsylvania. Uh best known for their nineteen ninety four album Throwing Copper, which sold eight million copies. And, uh, yes, yeah. and it was produced by Jerry Harrison of the Talking Heads. That's true. Yep, and it features you know features the hits "I Alone," "All Over You," "Selling the Drama," "Lightning Crashes." Very big songs of the nineties. Before they were live, though, they had a bunch of other really shitty names too, like uh, like Action Front. That name's pretty tight,
1: dude. That could be like a actually like a hate band.
2: Yeah, Paisley Brews, Club Fungus. Oh. Oh. Public affection and my personal favorite, body odor boys. Yeah, dude, BL- Big oh. Stinkers. Big stinkers for sure. It's um Yeah. You know Were they like a jam band before? I don't dude. Who, all, they, everyone was at that point. Um Paisley Bruce. But you know what's funny is my first memory of this band though goes back to uh an episode of Beavis and Butthead where they're um riffing on the video for I Alone. And uh right off the bat, I, I'll go ahead and say that they kind of took it easy on live. Compared to other, you know, videos that they've watched on the sh- on the show or whatever, but um, Beavis actually from the right off the bat it starts. He compares Ed Kowalczyk, the singer, uh, to a creepy guy at a bus station um, who lured Beavis into a bathroom stall. He said, uh, <laughs> "He said, I like what I see. Now go into one of those stalls, and I'll meet you there." To which Beavis responds, "Shut up, butthead! At least I got a candy bar out of the deal." <laughs> so uh, Ed Kowalczyk looks like a guy that might. Finger fuck you for a candy bar. You yeah, know? so uh,
1: <laughs> you're all about finger fucking today. Today's all, a, yeah, yeah, today's yeah. I don't,
2: my, my mind's not right. Finger I'm sorry, fuck guys. Friday. Uh, uh,
1: dude, but, they remind me of youth group music, real quick.
2: Like well, that, I was gonna yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, I was. But gonna they're say, not yeah. Christian, are they? No. Well, okay. So uh, no, wait, wait. So what? Okay. The he's actually a reformed Christian now. Um. So maybe I'm sure that. Uh, And he makes a reference. I've watched an interview where he's talking about his faith, and he makes a reference to how um, he's like. I always thought we had this U two vibe to where we had our beliefs, but like it kind of was a little more universal in 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 some aspects. Like you know, could be religious music or it could not. Depends on how you listen to it, I guess. Um, Right,
3: because if you are a band like that, you don't want to go like full Christian because then it's going to affect your sales totally. Um, And even even Creed never really. I mean, and U two actually, because uh, Josh and I have a, a good friend who his family uh, sees a shitload of U two concerts, mm-hmm. and I didn't actually realize that like U two is a low key Christian band. Totally, uh, it's, yeah. ju- it's just not something that they you, you don't put on the forefront because that affects the. Because uh, then you're a Christian rock band, and who likes that? Then you're a Christian rock yeah. band, and you can't you can't get the billions. So I think live was in that because yeah. I uh, went to a youth group, or I I did I did church and. Uh, that's how I discovered <laughs> I live is at the youth <laughs> wow. the youth group band would play live songs.
2: Well, you know, the so, like grind was, yeah, group. like you got, you called it youth group music or whatever. Um, I, The way I thought it, because I watched this interview and actually uh, kind of go back a little bit. They actually played Woodstock 94 as well. And that was like yep. right after that album. And like, it was a really big achievement for them. It really kind of got them to a, a huge audience. Like the next six months after that was insane for them, I imagine. And uh, this is actually crazy. So, the frontman Ed, he actually met his future wife, who he's still married to to this day, at Woodstock '94, and she was actually wow. working the festival. I think she was like selling pizza or some shit like that. And oh. uh, three months later, <laughs> salt salt of the earth. Yeah, three months later, they're they're at a bar and they meet each other, and uh, they've been married ever since. So going back to what he was saying about um, youth group music, I you know you got butt rock and you have dad rock, but I, I'm I'm going to say that live. Uh, this is my this is a new term I'm 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 coining now. Uh, I would say that they're husband rock.
0: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh. <laughs>
2: like I don't got kids to hold yeah. me back. I can jam some live. <laughs> yeah, but you're know, like, my own man. But it's you know it's like you, you, I don't know. Like some people people ask me all the time. It's like uh. You know, going back to like the being reformed Christian or whatever, it's like I feel like all these people end up doing that after they have kids. And people ask me all the time, they're like, oh, "Do you think you'll ever have kids?" And I'm like, "No." Nah. And they're like, "Why? You're not you're not ready for that?" And I'm like, "Maybe I'm just not ready for God." You know, yeah. I
1: don't, <laughs> it's a slippery slope. Yeah, yeah.
2: you know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> family and Jesus, you know. Yeah, uh, but yeah. you
1: know, and but Ed, dude, the '94 thing when they played '94, they do their little MTV interview, and he's like, "They're like, yeah, what do you think of all these naked people?" And he's like, "What? There's naked no, people?" No, that's the
2: '99 interview, actually. It, Cause they talk about the body painting tin and he's like, Oh, gotta go. And oh, like okay. Fakes yeah. Fakes like, he's going to leave after he just talks about meeting his uh. fucking wife. Yeah. <laughs> Pig.
1: <laughs> and he's got this shaved head. It's very culty. Like when he, when they come out on stage, you know, they're just like a normal looking band. They look exactly the way that you I, think. Yeah. It, it's not even, they're not even dressed bad enough for me to talk shit on or spend any time on it. Yeah. But Ed comes out wearing like a black button up, you know, and a cowboy hat, which eventually like, I think after the first song, all Ed that Ed shit stripped off. and he's just shirtless, bald head. It's very culty. It's
2: like a cult leader. Like, yeah, uh, but it's also like, I can't, I really can't get what he's going for. I really don't know. It almost seems religion like, like without no, well, you know, if you watch the footage of I, when he walks out on stage. He is in his mind thinking of every single thing he is doing in that moment. None of it's like, yeah. none of it's like free, fo- like, none of it's like seems real to me. It's, it all seems very like calculated. Like, like he's like, I'm gonna walk over to this side of the stage now. I'm gonna bend down and like do this like weird thing. I really don't get it. Yeah. And I fucking hate it. And when I, I saw them, he kind of, he kind of <laughs> cut that shit out a little bit. But, um,
3: I mean, I think you too, is the biggest uh, point of reference. I think that that kind of like, these songs they it kind of has that grunge vibe, but then it also has sort of this, that open Christian, that yeah. open chords and kind of this yeah. sort of sense of like, you know, what we're talking about is we're talking about universal themes
2: here. You know, we're well, that's bringing the thing together, is like, like, he, you know, he's millions of people to, with our song. He's supposed to be this love. fucking lyricist. And, but like, this is what, I, okay. So there's people, when you're a bad songwriter, like, the, like, what is it about? Like, like when you, okay, when you first start writing songs, you always talk about the dumbest shit, like like walking down the street or like you talk about the sun or the ocean or the, or, you know, whatever. This mm-hmm. guy does that on like every single song, like every song that he writes, Ugh. like they have, like they, they yeah. open up with a new song called Where Fishes Go. <laughs>
0: what the yes, fuck? Do it.
2: Yeah. And then like the course of that song is like, I couldn't take it anymore. So I went back to the sea. I'm just like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then they do a song <laughs> called, then they have a song called The Dolphins Cry. Yeah. What a, well, be, dude, that's, ugh. hey, that's deep shit. Hey, 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 hey. I did love that song when I was ugh. a seventh grader at Youth Group. <laughs> but, no,
3: no, But you know but what's they, funny they, the aqua- is I, you know,
2: he loves, this guy has to be obsessed with water because in the interview yes. that I watched where he's talking about like his like reformed faith or whatever. He he goes in because now he's like in this organ. He's like part of this Christian organization that like tries to like give get water to like uh, people in like Africa and shit like that. And dude, it's just so like funny. So he's like, I get water for my daughters every night. He's like, <laughs> he's, like, he's, like he's like, he's like, I go. He's like, I go to the. He's Is he like, just writing more lyrics? Water for yeah. my daughters. I go to the kitchen and I, I press the glass against the refrigerator and water this water comes out and it just made me made me think about how there's so many people out there that just don't have this luxury or whatever. And it's like, dude, you get get over the water. Uh, yeah. Like, get over it. yeah, what
1: about food? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah people need yeah. food too. You know, and, clothes. Mean, wa-
2: and this guy is so uninspired that he leaves the band. Like he leaves the band and then he goes solo and he his first solo album is called Alive. <laughs> this guy is out of ideas. Oh, yeah that, that
1: that's a man yeah grasping at straws right right there yeah yeah oh my god and he Dude, was
3: also yeah. in fight
2: club so that's his what own, yeah. he
3: wasn't he, yeah, oh you didn't know you know he has a brief he's a, a waiter brief but pronounced uh little cameo in fight club yeah. uh, he's he's part of the uh tyler durden's uh crew of uh, merry pranksters and he i think he pees in someone's no i think a he, oh, he's a waiter he plays a waiter oh he's a He's a waiter, yeah. but I think the implication is that he's gonna pee in your soup.
2: Uh, I'll have the clam chowder, the fried chicken with a baked potato with everything, and a chocolate chiffon pie. Clean food, please. In
0: that case, sir, may I advise against the lady eating the clam chowder? No clam chowder, thank you. Wow!
2: Wow! We're not talking about Phi Club. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs>
1: I did not know but that. The, but the,
2: but you know the best. The you know the best it, part about this whole thing is is like I'm never gonna have to listen or talk to you about live ever again. I hope. Like, I really hope they're one of the worst for me. It, it's a it's a nail in the coffin for sure. Yeah, um, this whole
1: segment, I mean, yeah. it, <laughs> I it, it, it really only gets better from here. Seriously. It really does. Like we started so high with James Brown. Like who doesn't fucking like James Brown? And then everything in between James Brown, literally until you hit like fucking Cheryl Crow is just a shit sandwich, like in between two good yeah. pieces of bread. Like it's Uh, it's like, and then after that, it goes back down. Yeah, it 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 goes. It goes. Well, it's more of a wave. But this is just like you know, it's day one opening shit acts. You know what I mean? Like essentially, we're. But again, this is all in red. Like in hindsight, you know what I mean? Like these were the biggest fucking bands of the time, and there are millions of people around the world that love all these fucking bands. You know, for some reason, we just aren't them. (laughs) You know, we aren't part of that. uh, That group. But uh, so, yes, that that's that's the nail in the coffin for live there. Um, So one thing that we're going to do when we when we cover an entire like, you know, when we're doing this official timeline coverage of the festival uh, is at the end of talking about the bands on the main stages. We're going to just do like a quick roundup. Um, So like right now, like live got off stage at like five o'clock. So our timeline for for this this segment is about noon to, to five. Uh, there was an emerging artist stage like we talked about in a hangar kind of off a ways from from the other stages that was going on all day, too. Uh, we don't really have set times for any of those bands. And also, we really don't have too much information on a lot of these bands. Yeah, I
2: had some trouble. Yeah,
1: sure. I mean, and a lot of that is due to the fact that like some of these bands, especially earlier in the day, were local acts that never really broke or anything like that. Uh, they were just, you know, happen to be near, you know what I mean? Who knows? Maybe there was even a pay to play scheme. I I don't know. But uh, yeah. so like the first one that that played uh on the emerging artist stage was F O
2: N. I couldn't even figure out what that stood for.
1: Yeah. So yeah, again, like yeah. just just lost it in time. Uh, Linda Rutherford and Celtic Fire played. That's exactly uh what you think it is. It's just kind of yeah. like bluegrassy, kind of Celtic, like sawdust festival, yeah. craft fair music. You know, like dulcimers and fucking fiddles and and shit like that. Uh, you know peaceful shit but no one was there to, to see that like you know at all uh then we have sugar daddy uh did, did we did we find anything about sugar daddy nah. no no <laughs> strike
2: yeah. i really didn't even care yeah. I, I, I i didn't even you know when you go to the google search and, and you have like the one two three four, like all the like the pages right. i didn't even go past one i was like fuck this yeah,
1: if it's <laughs> yeah. not on one you're yeah, not gonna like, find like you know
2: something I mean, on sugar daddy get, yeah we're, we're the only people that are talking about these vans
1: it's true. Yeah, yeah no, we, I don't think anyone's going to blame us for uh, not being able to like tell you when Sugar Daddy put out yeah. their uh, first fucking, you know, demo. Uh- <laughs> but
3: but if if you were in Sugar Daddy and for some reason you're listening to this podcast, you're welcome. uh, you know, <laughs> contact us at uh, podcast 99 official at gmail.com. We would love to we would love to do a
2: full episode of you. I'll book you a
1: show. If, if, I'll book you a yeah, fucking we'll show a in show. Los
2: Angeles, California, Let's baby. Do it. Hollywood. You guys are opening up a can of worms you don't even want to fucking deal with. I, I, know, yeah, yeah.
1: I know, yeah, next thing you know. Our gonna inbox be... is going to be right. flooded
2: tomorrow. You... Yeah,
1: we're going to get F-O-N yeah. and Sugar Daddy on a bill and no one's going to come to it. We're going to have to put in parentheses, <laughs> like, doing Woodstock 99 set, like, you know. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, whatever. So, Me and Josh opened for Complete, and there was five people there. Uh, Yeah, that was but tight. dude, Complete, like,
1: <laughs> I can guarantee you more, like, I know people that have covered Complete songs. Like, more people know about Complete than Sugar Daddy. Yeah. Sugar Daddy. For sure. So then yeah. the, then the last, uh of for this, you Emerging artist stage roundup uh, segment uh, is Sticky Pistol, and uh, I know Parks, yeah. you,
3: you were able to dig <laughs> up a little something. Uh, I, I was able to dig up a little something. I'll I'll paraphrase it. I mean, this is where it gets into my perverted interest in just terrible culture. Uh, again, I am gonna I am gonna go on the record and say, for the second time in this episode, that uh, a band like Sticky Pistol does in the weirdest, most perverted way make you appreciate the red hot chili peppers because when you hear someone do the white boy funk rock uh just in in an influence of the chili peppers and like missing whatever the fuck it was that the chili peppers did and missing that mark so poorly uh it's I mean it's truly terrible music. Um but for some reason I was able to find like lots of sort of these weird like blogspot.com like geo city angel fire type <laughs> uh websites uh, about web. sticky pistol and i mean i found this one guy who basically reviewed sticky pistol but like they're from uh they're from new mexico taos new mexico and the person who writes about them like is taking all this time to like write about this very obscure funk rock band but like is The entire time, like, throwing in these just, like, incredibly condescending remarks about it. So it is interesting to think, like, maybe this guy who wrote this article just had some, like, bone to pick with these, like, funk rock goofy dudes. He was in Sugar Um, Daddy, and he felt that they took (laughs) their slot. We should have played a
1: fucking three, not two. Yeah.
3: Um, But, yeah. And Sticky Pistol actually, uh, their album is on uh, Spotify. It's a, uh, st- so, sorry, Sticky Pistol. That's P I S T I L, which is no, a it's two the L's, female. Is it, the, yeah. or Is it? Yeah. Well, either way, it's not, it's not a gun. It's uh, the female uh, organs of a flower. So, Sticky God, Pistol. Oh do, you, do you get it? You get it? Yeah. Um, but again, that is like indicative of this 90s, like cheeseball sexuality. Uh, that the Chili Peppers made incredibly popular, where you just say bizarre things uh, and you make weird, gross uh, euphemisms for uh, the female genitalia that you think are very poetic because you like read a couple Kerouac books and you like. Yeah, well, uh, what, what, <laughs> was um, what was the Anthony Kiedis uh, one? What was Anthony Kiedis? Yeah, yeah. Would... Me and Josh found this Anthony Kiedis interview where he refers to the woman's vagina as a ruby fruit jungle, <laughs> and uh, that sounds like a weed. I don't know. <laughs> listen, listen. To, to all of the listeners like you might be able to pull that one off but it, i mean even him it's so awkward when he says it um yeah. ruby so yeah, fruit sticky pistol dude you know that your band like
1: is a real stinker when you finally are being talked about like on a on a fucking podcast like 20 years after your uh you know your career has has ended and they still just end up talking about the chili peppers instead Like like, you know, they're like, "Oh, dude, no! I heard they mention us, and it's like just like devolves into us talking about the Chili Peppers again. Like you don't even get your own segment. Like fuck it." Uh, Yeah. So I
3: mean, I mean, it sucks because if they had, if there was footage of these obscure bands playing, I guarantee you we would be watching all of. Oh fuck! Because it would be fucking amazing. But no, because the
1: hangar, the the indoor hangar has like. Uh, it, it looks more similar to the East stage. The East stage has like both, all the stages have different looks to them and, and different setups. Like the West stage has like a big banner of, of the original Woodstock kind of bird on the guitar centered. And it's actually nice. It's like a nice professionally made banner that hangs centered and, and there's lighting on it and stuff. And I believe there's like pillars like on either side of the stage, like giant kind of like, made to look like marble pillars. It's really weird. But then the main stage, which is gigantic and it's kind of like a weird, like half circle uh, shape to it is just shitty. Like all the banners are like, look like just hand drawn, like kid drawings, like, like a seventh grader one, the design, the Woodstock 99 stage. And then the emerging artist stage, which is in a hangar, is very similar to that. Where again, it's just like hand painted shitty artists, like lots of doodles uh nothing really like cohesive about it but we've seen such little footage uh, in there because there wasn't like a pay-per-view feed of that particular stage uh which honestly that probably would have changed the careers for a lot of these bands like we might have known who sugar daddy was if they were aired on pay-per-view you mm-hmm. know and millions yeah. of people got to see them but no there's just the bands that people wanted to see got on got on pay-per-view but uh I think that's going to do it uh, for, for, for today. Uh, We are going to return next time with uh, our continuing coverage of day one of the Woodstock 99 festival. Uh, We have a lot of great acts coming up uh, in the future. We're going to talk about Sheryl Crow. Uh, We're going to get to lit DMX ICP Buck Cherry. Uh, Eventually we're going to get to heavy hitters like corn. So, you know, stay tuned. There is much more to come and much better to come. Also much worse too. Shit. And much worse. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah it does, yeah, it, it, yeah, it yeah. actually
3: doesn't get any better. It kind of stays the no. same. <laughs> yeah. It's, a ro- it's about to be a roller coaster. All, all
1: right. right. Podcast 99 would like to thank Gray Holger at Conderdick Sound for all of his technical assistance. We'd also like to thank all you listeners at home. Please make sure to subscribe and share. If you know anyone that went to Woodstock 99, played Woodstock 99, or worked at Woodstock 99, please contact us at podcast99official at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Instagram at podcast99. Thank you, and we'll see you at Woodstock.